Welcome to the More Than a Physique podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Jansen, online fitness coach, content creator, and competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. In this podcast, we help you discover your inner athlete. Each episode will enhance your life as we provide you insights on all things health, fitness, and personal development. Now let's bring out your inner athlete. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the More Than a Physique podcast, where we discuss ways to ignite all areas of your life surrounding health, fitness, and becoming mentally elite. I'm your host, Kristen Jansen, certified strength and conditioning specialist, sports nutritionist, and a certified pre- and postnatal coach with the Natty Hour. Before we get into today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Legion and the Natty Hour. Legion is an evidence-based supplement company that takes pride in ensuring that all products are backed by peer-reviewed scientific literature and are dosed at clinically effective levels. If you've been following me long enough, you know that I'm not one to push something that I don't believe in, especially supplements. But the fact that Legion has gone to great lengths to ensure such quality products is the reason why I have partnered up with them. If you are interested in learning more, be sure to visit legionathletics.com. You will also receive 20% off your first order if you use my code Jansen, J-A-N-Z-E-N, at checkout. Further information and links are in the show notes. Also, a huge shout out to The Natty Hour, which is my online coaching business that I run with my husband, Kyle Jansen. We exist to serve the drug-free strength and fitness community, from those who embody the discipline and determination to pursue the highest level of competition naturally, to those looking to improve their overall health and lifestyle. Our athletes range from being elite bodybuilders to the new mom looking to prioritize her health amongst a hectic schedule. Be sure to visit thenattyhour.com to learn more. Thank you so much for supporting the More Than a Physique podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode on your social media. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 88. In this episode, I'm actually going to answer some of your guys' questions. I did a poll on my Instagram, getting everybody to ask me some questions so that way I can do a Q&A episode. So we haven't done one of these in a while and we got some really good questions. So if you aren't already, make sure that you follow me on Instagram at kristen.jansen. I do post there quite regularly. So without further ado, let's jump right into the first question. So with the uh, questions that I asked, I did have the anonymous link available. So all of these questions here, the majority of them were left anonymously. So the first question here is, how much muscle can a postmenopausal woman gain per year after training for five years? So after training for five years, that's a pretty good 
indicator that you are at a pretty advanced lifting age. Of course, you know, that's just speculation. It can be completely different. Like even for myself, I didn't really feel like my first five years were as optimized as they could have been. So it's very tough for me to, you know, make that judgment call without knowing more specifics. But I'm going to go ahead here and assume that you've had an optimized training career for the last five years and therefore you are more so approaching a more advanced lifting age in comparison to a beginner or even intermediate. So for a postmenopausal woman, I think it's really important to understand here that it's going to be completely different per person and trying to gauge how much muscle you are going to realistically gain each year is a very daunting, difficult task. And even after looking at the research, there's actually not a lot of good research telling us about rates of muscle growth in trained individuals. And this includes men and women, regardless of age. So a lot of the research that is showcasing the expected rates of muscle growth, typically they are done in subjects who are considered to be untrained. So making the assumption that you are more advanced after lifting for five years, it's uh, safe to assume that you wouldn't be lumped into this untrained group. But just to give you some reassurance here that even though there's not a lot of research that is going to give us like an actual specific rate of expected muscle growth, there is some literature that does showcase a pretty good amount of muscle growth in untrained women as they get older. So it's kind of to be expected that a normal range would be one pound to two pounds of muscle per month. And that is in an untrained individual. I uh, actually looked a little bit more in depth here and there was a study that showcased that untrained women showed an increase in muscle size by about 14% within this particular group. And they also had a second group where there was an older group of women and they actually increased their muscle size by 11.8%. So yes, of course, not as much in comparison to the younger group of untrained women, but there was still a good amount of uh, increase. So that kind of gives us some reassurance that, hey, you know what, just because we reach a postmenopausal state doesn't mean that our lifting career is done. That doesn't mean that there aren't more gains to be made, but in regards to trying to determine for yourself how much muscle can you expect to gain a year, I think a more structured approach is to try to focus on the variables that you can control. Because like I said, it's very tough and challenging, regardless if you are in a postmenopausal phase or not, there's not a heck of a lot of research showcasing the uh, rates of muscle growth in trained individuals. So what variables can you control? Well, I think the biggest thing, first and foremost, of course, is gonna be our protein needs, especially as we get older, especially as we approach that postmenopausal phase. And the reason for that is because we do experience, as women, we do experience a reduction in our bone mineral density, especially as our hormones take a beating, if you will, during that menopausal phase. So making sure that protein Protein, first and foremost, is very much prioritized to help mitigate 
the uh, loss of bone mineral density is going to be extremely helpful and beneficial. So, you know, that kind of begs the question here, like how much protein should you be consuming? And I did just previously have a podcast episode talking about your protein needs. So make sure you go back and revisit episode 87. So that way you can figure out for yourself based off of your goals, based off of your protein amounts um, and your protein sources, how much you should be consuming for your particular goals. But as we get older, like I said, our protein needs actually go up quite significantly. So a good rule of thumb is to try to ensure that you're consuming around 25% to 40% of your daily calories coming from protein. So for example here, say you consume roughly 1600 calories, that would mean we wanna try to get a range within 100 to 160 grams of protein per day. Now, this is just a general recommendation for the average lifter. Therefore, if you are in a postmenopausal phase, I would recommend making sure that you are on the higher end of the spectrum, and those are for reasons that I previously mentioned. So that's one variable that you can focus on controlling. Of course, the other variable is obviously the one that you probably are already doing quite well in, and that is your training. Making sure that you are still applying progressive overload with your training, making sure that you are still having a high enough amount of intensity to promote muscle growth, making sure that your training routine is still optimized to help promote the goals that you are looking for, which of course is gonna be hypertrophy, which is gonna be muscle growth. So ensuring that that is another variable. Other variables that a lot of people don't often think about are things like our stress management. How are our bowel movements? Are we prioritizing our sleep and recovery? Those are all extremely important variables that are gonna help optimize your muscle growth related goals. So if I can encourage you to do anything, I know that it's tough and frustrating because you want an answer answer as to how much muscle growth you can expect. Instead, I would really make sure that you are taking into consideration these variables if you aren't already. And if you are, that's awesome. Keep doing your thing and keep enjoying yourself with your training and uh, just continue to push yourself, but as well to enjoy yourself with your training. Okay, so the next question here, you've talked a lot about understanding your why. What is your why? I'll preface this for those who don't know, I, I, if you don't follow me on Instagram, I have been talking about this quite a bit lately. And the reason why I think it's super important for people to understand why they're doing what they're doing is because it allows you to feel a little bit more intrinsically motivated. You know, quite often, a lot of us, when we first get into the gym or we first get into our fitness and health related goals, it's for external related purposes, you know, intrinsic related reasons. So for example, here, if you find that, you know, your doctor has really been bugging you to lose weight, well, you feel extrinsically motivated because you don't want him to keep bugging you at your annual checkups, or perhaps your friend wants you to join a uh, fitness program with her and it's cheaper for her to do so. So you feel extrinsically motivated to sign up with your friend. So that way she gets a cheaper rate. You know, those are all great starting reasons. Or another example is you're heading to Mexico in four weeks and you want to look good in a bikini another extrinsically related motivator. Nothing wrong with these initial 
ways to ignite your passion to ignite your goals but i do think that at some point or another those purposes do start to wear out because what happens after the fitness program with your friend is done what happens after your doctor stops harping on you what happens after your trip to mexico what is going to allow you to keep that flame going and i would argue that it's important to keep that flame going because this is our health even if it's just to look good in a bathing suit, even if it's just to have a six pack, those are great initial starters, but you're still doing it for reasons beyond what you may be aware of. And that's for longevity, that's for health, that's for increasing your quality of life. And taking it a step further to intrinsically ask yourself, why am I doing this? And if you don't know that reason, I really encourage you to take some time to ask yourself beyond those initial motivators, what else could you be doing this for? And maybe you don't know what that intrinsically related reason is as of yet, but taking the time to try to define that for yourself can be the best way for you to actually ensure that that flame stays lit longer than 12 weeks. It's something that you can keep lit for years it's something that you can keep lit for the rest of your life and I would argue that that should be our main motivator so really understanding your why and your purpose is a very helpful way to actually accomplish that so for myself my why is my future kids that do not exist yet my why is my future grandkids who don't exist yet. There's something to be said about being a role model for my future kids. And this is something that I didn't really have growing up. And I always kind of turned to a lot of male figures that I really looked up to, but I really didn't have a lot of female role models. And I want to be that for my future kids. I want to show them the importance of taking care of yourself. I want to show them the importance of being independent and confident and being much more than just a mom. And that's what keeps me going. I want my future grandkids to one day struggle to keep up with me. I want to be able to to deadlift and show my grandkids one day how to deadlift and help them with their form and technique. I also want to be able to get off the toilet when I'm 90 years old and not have that elevated toilet seat that all of our grandparents have. Those are the things that keep me going. And I always just remind myself in those moments where I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to track my food. I don't want to prioritize protein, fruits, and vegetables for the day. I always remind myself that none of us are going to make it out alive. And I know that sounds really morbid and really dark, but that's one thing that all of us are guaranteed in this life. And because of that, what can I do during those final days to make sure that I am not in as much pain as can be expected when we get older? Because let's face it, we're all going to deal with sickness, illness, pain, joint issues, stability issues, all of these things are kind of to be expected as we get older. So if I can take the time now to mitigate those risks as much as possible, I know that 90-year-old Kristen is going to look back and be like, thank you so much for actually taking the time to take care of yourself. And because of that, I know that it's not going to be as bad it's still gonna suck to get old let's face it nobody wants to get old but if we can try to mitigate that as much as possible 
that is my why. And I remind myself that constantly. And that's what keeps my flame going. That has allowed me to sustain this for years, basically. Taking the time to truly understand your why is extremely important and effective. All right, the next question here. Thoughts on group fitness classes. Any benefits for muscle growth? So this is kind of a two-part question, if you will. My thoughts on group fitness classes is I think that they can be really amazing, especially for a lot of people who really do struggle to go to the gym. They need that camaraderie. They need that encouragement and they need that community. Group fitness classes are awesome. And I think that they can be really helpful for people in those situations. And because of that, I encourage them, you know, especially if you're just getting into the gym, you're just getting into training. I think it's really important to focus on finding a program, finding a lifestyle that's going to allow you as an individual to be as consistent as possible. You know, everybody's always looking for the best way to optimize their goals, not realizing that consistency is the best way to optimize your goals. Yeah, you know what? Maybe for an experienced lifter, it might not be the best way to promote muscle growth. But if it's going to allow you to exercise three to four days a week, whereas if lifting weights, you're going to skip it and only do it once a week, I would argue it's better to pick the option that's going to allow you to be more consistent. Having said that though, when it comes to muscle growth, this is going to depend on the individual and where they are at in their lifting career. If you've never lifted weights before, do you know what? You're probably going to see a little bit of muscle growth. There's even studies that showcase that somebody who has never lifted weights before, especially in their lower body, they're actually going to build muscle just from walking. So there are hypertrophy related expectations from activities like this. Now, of course, as you advance and as you, your body is able to handle accumulated amounts of stress, optimizing muscle growth is probably not going to be accomplished. Like for myself, for example, lifting to the degree that I do five days a week, going to a group fitness class is probably not the best approach if my goal is to optimize muscle growth. But for the average person who has never lifted weights in their life, yeah, it's an excellent starting point. And at the end of the day, if it gets you into the gym, it gets you moving your body, I would argue that that's more important than focusing on muscle growth. And that is something that you can revisit later on as you advance, as you want to explore new things, as you're willing to challenge yourself a lot more. You know, most people, when when they start their fitness journey, they don't just start right in the weight room. A lot of people do start out with cardio. A lot of people do start out with group fitness classes. And as they become more addicted to this lifestyle, if you will, they do explore other options for themselves. They do explore other methods to continue to push themselves mentally and physically. So excellent starting point when it comes to group fitness classes. Next question here, how much protein and fiber should you consume a day? So like I said previously, I did just record a podcast episode all about protein. So I encourage you to revisit that episode. I go over it in quite detail, not just talking about how much protein you should be consuming a day, but as well to the importance of consuming enough protein a day. I also compare the difference in your intake if you are a vegan or not. So it's a really helpful, informative episode. But in a general standpoint, I think the biggest thing to focus on with your protein consumption is 
use to make sure that you're at least consuming 0.7 to one gram per pound of body weight. And for anybody who is obese, it's better to take your estimated lean body mass or your targeted goal weight instead of using your current body weight when you are setting your protein targets. So make sure you go visit that episode, episode 87. When it comes to fiber, the uh, dietary recommendation is gonna be roughly between 20 to 30 grams for females and then maybe 30 to 40 grams for males. There is kind of a sweet spot though that you wanna pay attention to when it comes to your fiber amount. Another way to determine your fiber amount is to have 10 to 15 grams per 1000 calories that you are consuming. So if you are currently consuming 2,500 calories, then having 25 grams of fiber is a good amount to consider as well. But it is important to remember though that you wanna try to find that sweet spot for yourself because having too little and even too much fiber can cause some digestive related issues. It can cause some inverse effects. So making sure that you are within a good range for you and your body type is really important. And a good way to kind of approach that is to pay attention to your bowel movements. Are you regular or are you irregular? If you are noticing any irregularities, it's at that point in time where you might wanna play with the amount that you are consuming and see if you need to either consume more or less fiber and trying to find that sweet spot so you can make sure that things are more regular. Next question here, how did you gain all of your training and nutrition knowledge? So, a lot of the information that I have obtained has been self-taught. I do have a lot of certifications as well, but it kind of started out where I just wanted answers. So at the time when I first got into coaching, before I actually started taking on clients, I spent a good amount of time just experimenting with my friends and family, as well too with myself, and just trying to be a sponge and gain as much knowledge as possible. So this would have been in whoa, 2012, 2013 somewhere around that time frame where there wasn't as much information as there is now, but a lot of the information that I gained was from YouTube at the time. And what I would do is I would just listen to YouTube videos while I was at work. So I'd be doing tax returns and then listening to YouTube videos. There was only maybe a couple of fitness podcasts at a time. Podcasting wasn't even really a thing back then, but I just tried to absorb as much information as possible. So while I was at work, I would listen and take notes as well too. So that way I can just try to gain that knowledge that I needed to feel competent in the field. But as well too, a lot of the information of course came from my certifications. I have my sports nutrition certification as well too as my certified personal trainer certification, certified strength and conditioning specialist, certified pre and postnatal coach. All of these different courses are pretty comprehensive that allowed me to focus on just building that knowledge that I expected from myself to be a competent coach. And what I like about some of these certifications is that they do require professional development each year. So you can't just, you know, get your certification and you're good to go. They require a specific amount of hours so you can uphold that certification title. So I really like that because it just allows you to really focus on continuing to learn. It is very much a continued learning basis, especially as the science changes as well. But a lot of the other information is very constant. I'm actually listening to podcasts, reading research reviews, articles, 
almost every single day. That's kind of a non-negotiable for myself is I try to focus on learning one new thing each day. And if it's not something new that I'm learning, it's still absorbing information. So that way I just feel like I am continuing to stay on top of the information provided. Lots of articles, subscriptions as well. Subscriptions are a good way to go. I'm subscribed to the mass articles. Uh, for those who don't know what mass is, it's the uh, monthly applications in strength sport. So it's a monthly research review specifically for strength and physique athletes and for coaches as well. So it's really informative. It's a really helpful resource to stay on top of the research. So it's kind of something that is never ending. I enjoy it a lot too, and I enjoy learning new things. Things, but the learning never stops. So I'm always looking for new ways to actually learn and uh, continue to expand my knowledge base as a coach. Okay, we got one more question here. I tweaked my lower back from deadlifts. What stretches should I do to help reduce the pain and speed up recovery? I'm just going to preface this by saying that I am not specialized in this area whatsoever. Rehab for a back, shoulder, or any type of injury, it needs to be addressed with a physiotherapist. Having said that, I understand how frustrating it can be to find a uh, qualified professional who wants to help you get to the root cause of the problem. And that's not the case for everybody, but I've been there before. You know, you tweak your back, you book an emergency session with a physio, RMT, or maybe a chiro, and then you go to the appointment and sometimes, you know, there's just a basic assessment or massage and then they send you on your way with some random movements to do and maybe they help at first maybe they help you and you're good to go which would be great but maybe it doesn't even help at all so it, it can be really frustrating and sometimes taking matters into your own hands when you aren't getting answers or making progress can often be necessary at the end of the day, who knows your body better than you, right? So this actually happened to me back in 2017. Fun fact, my back injury from 2017 is the reason why this podcast exists because I was very frustrated and depressed at the time and I was like worried that I was going to lose all my muscle and that's where I got the idea that, hey, you know what? Be an athlete, be more than a physique and get to the root cause of the problem and take matters into your own hands. And that's what inspired me to focus on my recovery and come at it from an athletic standpoint instead of being so hyper aesthetics focused. So I spent months trying to get help with my recovery and I was constantly told just conflicting information to get myself back and nothing was working. So for myself, it wasn't until I discovered Dr. Stu McGill's book, Back Mechanic, it's the secret to a healthy spine your doctor isn't telling you. Highly recommend this book. This book saved my life. Actually, one of my friends at the gym injured her back and I lent her this book and it helped her quite tremendously. So if you are struggling and uh, you're not getting the answers that you're looking for, I highly, highly recommend this book. So that leads me to actually answering your question here. When we initially tweak our back, typically our first instincts are to one, stretch it out, or to ice the injured area. While this may seem logical and even often suggested by physicians, these two things are the last things that we want to do right after we incur a lower back injury. So why don't we want to stretch it out, if you will? 
Well, physiologically, pulling your knees to your chest, which is a common stretch that's performed or recommended to relieve that back pain, this actually triggers the stretch reflex. This provides maybe about like 15 minutes of pain relief for some, making it a short-term fix. The problem is that putting your spine in this position, you are aggravating your discs after you've experienced temporary relief. The pain will return and often it gets worse than before. So this can kind of begin a vicious cycle where we think we just need to stretch it out more to reduce the pain that's coming back when it's just making matters worse most often anyways. Instead of focusing your energy on stretches that bend your spine, I recommend trying to focus instead on stabilizing and controlling the spine. So modify your daily movements to keep your spine in a neutral position as much as possible. Isn't That's an excellent starting point. So some examples for that would be like, don't grab the kids with a rounded back. When you lean forward to grab a bag, have one leg elevated like you're doing a single RDL and uh, focus on hinging forward versus rounding forward to grab a bag. You can also make sure that you get into a neutral position when you are sitting versus being slouched forward and then sleep on your back if you can with a pillow under your knees or you can sleep on your side with a pillow between your knees so your spine is more neutral. So in following this path to recovery, especially like the first couple of weeks after injury, your discs, they probably will experience less strain, your pain will subside and your mobility will return. So essentially when dealing with stretches, I recommend when you're in that phase after an initial injury, you know, we want to avoid any motion that involves pulling your knees to your chest or even where you are sitting down with your legs straight and you're pulling yourself, trying to bring your chest to your knees. So let's quickly, I know this is a long answer here, but, and I know you didn't ask this in the question, but I think it's worth talking about. Why don't we want to ice the area? So ice has been shown to delay the healing process, not amplify it like we often think. Icing an injured area is used as an attempt to reduce inflammation, which is something we actually don't want. Inflammation is necessary during the healing process and not something we should actively be trying to reduce or eliminate. We want our body to naturally go through that inflammatory phase as it protects new tissue. So the risk of future re-injury goes down. So icing, it's actually been shown to increase inflammation, which is also something we don't want to happen. That inflammatory phase, it can last, you know, roughly two weeks then your body moves on to a repair phase and then a remodeling phase. So the repair phase, this helps prevent excessive muscle atrophy and joint deterioration. And the remodeling phase, this helps optimize new tissue function. So we don't want a prolonged inflammatory phase that is caused by icing the injured area because that's going to interrupt the repair and remodeling phase. And that can prolong or often worsen your recovery. So overall, your body, it knows what it needs to do to recover. We just need to meet it halfway and ensure we put our body into pain-free positions and find pain-free movement patterns 
patterns in the meantime. So of course, this is just scratching the surface when it comes to fixing your back pain. And like I said, I am not a physiotherapist. This is not my area of expertise whatsoever. So please make sure you consult with an appropriate physician for you specifically. This is just based off of my experience. This is just based off of my research on the matter. All right, well, that was a fun Q&A. Hopefully you guys liked it. If you did, do me a huge favor and share this episode to your Instagram stories. Let me know that you enjoyed it and it will as well to prompt me to do more Q&A episodes in the future. All right, team, that about wraps up this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, if you found it helpful as a thank you to me, please do me a huge favor and be sure to share this on your social media maybe share it with your friends and family. And if you haven't already, please be sure to go leave this episode a review on iTunes. It really helps me out. It helps other people find the episode so we can ensure that we help more people just like this episode was able to help you. So thank you all. I look forward to chatting with you all again very soon. But until then, go out there, strive for more, be more, and ignite your inner athlete.